It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Sam, how's it going, man? Good, guys. How are you? We are doing fantastic. Uh, we were just uh, discussing your uh, your piece that you did on the final days of James Harden uh, with the Houston Rockets. Um, uh, would encourage our listeners to go check it out. But uh, how did you feel about the way that relationship ended? And, and take us through it a little bit uh, as James now uh, in Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with I heard Gordon saying as we were getting going here, uh, you know, the characterization of it being messy. Um, you know, I, I, you, it is not that hard to connect these dots and figure out, you know, where the beginning and the end took place and, you know, why he made the choice that he made. Um, but that doesn't really speak to the, the nature, you know, with which it all went down. You know, whether it's the Atlanta, Vegas, getaway that in retrospect seems pretty unnecessary and, and somewhat mysterious, um, you know, or kind of the, uh, the happens at the end where, you know, our reporting has certainly bared out that he, by that point he knew he was gone. So, you know, now you're willing to be more honest, you know, it was definitely messy. Uh, but the, the part where it makes a lot of sense is I just, I think that the Rockets with their owner Tillman Fertitta at the top, of course, you know, they, they certainly should have seen this coming. You know, when Mike D'Antoni left, that you know, and, and they failed to secure that relationship, and then Daryl Morey headed out of town, and, you know, it seems like it was only a matter of time before James wanted to go, too. So then, Sam, is, is, is James Harden justified in some respects? On what side of the ledger do you find explanations for his behavior that made some sense as far as what you would think is legitimate or justifiable? No, I just think, well, I mean, you could say that the simple act of telling the organization that he would like to be relocated, you know, that's one where they had built an ecosystem that was almost entirely centered around him. So there's, I mean, I feel like a psychologist could have a field day with, with this situation because it does seem and feel like he got so used to one way of life when you really, you were kind of drinking your own Kool-Aid and, and, you know, Daryl Morey in the way that he wanted the game to be played, Mike D'Antoni style fitting into that, you know, Hey James, we're going to give you the ball at an extremely high rate. And, and, you know, he found people and he was a playmaker, but you know, he was the epicenter of everything they did. And even when they had co-stars, you know, Dwight Howard, uh, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, it was pretty clearly known that it was not necessarily even one and one a, it was, it was one and two and James was always going to be one. So once that environment was gone and he wasn't sure, you know, kind of what to think of how things were going to function seems pretty clear that he, you know, he was yearning for another place where, 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 you know, he would not be in charge, but like, you know, where, where he could do what he wanted to, to do. So, you know, hello Brooklyn. But, um, again, it was messy. I mean, it really was. You, especially at the end, some of the stuff we reported from the locker room scene, you know, that night they lost to the Lakers. You know, the other players and his colleagues and coworkers were not happy with the way that he was handling himself. Sam Amick of The Athletic with us. And uh, the, 
I'm gonna. I want to ask you this question because you covered uh, Demarcus Cousins closely when he was in in Sacramento. But after reading your piece and hearing his comments uh, the day that James Harden was was traded, where you know sticking up for his teammates and advocating for a for a responsible culture and and all this stuff, I thought, man, I'm liking Demarcus Cousins a lot more after <laughs> this situation. But <laughs> it, it, talk about the evolution of him as a person because that's that you he wouldn't have said. I guess he wouldn't have had that outlook at the beginning of his career with the Kings, it seems to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little torn on that one because, you know, I, I do think that certainly in the moment, you know, it you know, feels like DeMarcus is on the right side of history as far as discussing the way it all went down. I'd be lying to you if I didn't. I mean, listen, he's he's matured like everybody else does, and I think he's a different guy now than he was 10 years ago. But certainly, you know, like on my social media timeline and people from – you know, who have maybe some connection to the old Sacramento days, you know, th- there was that kind of feeling of like, well, isn't that something, you know, that, you know, people could have said this about DeMarcus back in the day that, you know, he was the one, you know, being disrespectful with his teammates and, and having things happen like this when he wanted out. And then that's a fact. But, um, you know, in this instance, I 100% understood where he was coming from and even more so, when we learned more about the type of stuff that was said, because to be honest with you, you know, we, we, uh, we came kind of close to reporting some specific quotes from the locker room, but we didn't have this. The sourcing just wasn't strong enough to really be accurate about exactly what was said, but it does seem real clear that the nature of it was, you know, James kind of had this air about him, you know, like, man, this is, you know, this is my, my kind of team, my, my place. You guys are newcomers. Your voice doesn't really matter. And, you know, that's not going to land well. So, Sam, what happens in Brooklyn if there's a stare down between James Harden and Kevin Durant? I'm going to leave Kyrie out of it because he's kind of a he's just kind of a wild card. But what happens if the two stars lock horns? Because Kevin Durant, I think, has enough heft uh, to say, hey, James, knock it off. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, I hear you, Gordon. I'm leaving Kyrie out of it. I'm not. To me, as we minute, I, it's going to be between those three guys to figure out. But I didn't watch last night all that closely until the end against Cleveland. But, you know, notice today that James, um, I think he had two points in the first quarter, I believe. He, he just didn't shoot much early on. Um, you know, Kyrie was cooking early. Like, it's just, I could see it. You know, maybe I'll look silly in hindsight, but I could see it not being great you know they're defensively they've got issues um it's just such a again i like to look at the game from a mental standpoint and it's like man like so james ran from houston because he wasn't going to be able to dominate that environment to the degree that he was used to but you know right out the gate you see large chunks of a game where i mean the notion of james harden you know not shooting the ball is just completely foreign to, to fans and, and those of us that cover the game. So um, I don't know, you know, and, and Kyrie, of course, coming in off of, you know, what seems to be a pretty heavy kind of weighty time for him where he disappears for however many games and, you know, and, and comes back talking about unity and sacrifice and, and we'll see if they can do it. But I don't think it's going to be easy. 
Sam, there are folks uh, in and close to the Jazz organization that think they could be the best shooting team in the league. And right now they're the only team in the league uh, attempting at least 40 threes a game and uh, making at least 40% of the threes that they take. Your thoughts on that. Could they be the best shooting team in the league if things go well? Um, if things go well, sure. Uh, I, I would, you know, my, my brain goes immediately back to Brooklyn where, you know, Brooklyn's going to be lethal from that standpoint because offensively the space that's created by those three stars, you know, four guys like Joe Harris and Landry Shamit is going to be, you know, it's going to be easy cooking for them a lot of nights. Not to mention that, James, Kyrie, and, and Kevin can shoot the hell out of the ball. So um, that's the first team that comes to mind, but the Jazz are certainly off to a really good start in that regard. I was kind of breaking down some of their overall stats the other day and just trying to get a better sense of how Utah was functioning. And I mean, they just, the, the depth is what jumps out to you. You know, like Rudy Gobert in particular, you know, scoring down a little bit this year, around 12 a game. Um, and that's fine because they don't need him to score as much as they did before. And, and that's shooting. You know, Rudy does a lot of things. Shooting's not one of them. And, uh, you know, that's not part of the equation as much as it used to be. So I like what they're doing, you know, and Donovan playing well. Um, they, uh, you know, I think they're 10 and 4 now. I mean, they, they are off to a really, really strong start. Yeah, they'd be 11 and 4 if that Washington game hadn't been canceled, probably. So they right. would have been tied. With the Clippers and Lakers, so uh, is this? We've asked you this for I don't know how many years, Sam. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I don't know how many years we've asked you this, but as far as the quality of the Jazz and what their what the ceiling is on this team, do you think this is the best Jazz team that we've ever asked you about? Um, I, I don't. I need to watch them more. I really don't have a strong answer. I, I need to see you know more of you know Mike Conley in twenty twenty one with this group. Um, you know, kind of, you know, you know what Boyan's giving you, um, you know, the Clarkson component. I mean, I, I like it a lot. And we've talked a lot on this show about the, the value of continuity that's pretty hard to quantify. And but it's really something that people within the league pay a lot of attention to, especially in a year like this, right? With all these uncontrollables surrounding, you know, your team as you try to get through a season during a pandemic and, and practices that you're looking forward to, and then they get canceled, and then games that get postponed, and and training. Um, you know, I talked to a player the other day about how on the road it's just so, just such a weird experience. You know, you're you're stuck in your room, and maybe you want to. Normally, you would get shots up the night before a game at, at a gym that you're familiar with on the road, and and that's not available to you anymore. So continuity, and you know, and having uh, essentially kind of your programming already set in place as a team like that's a big deal because there's a lot of teams out there right now that are kind of looking around going well how are we supposed to learn one another if we can't even spend a lot of time together so uh, that's a leg up for teams like Utah that has obviously been through a lot together with the core of this group that Mike Conley thing you said uh, Sam I think you'll like what you see because he really even on the nights when he doesn't shoot the ball well, like the other night, he was he had ten assists. He seems completely uh, comfortable now. 
We're not talking about Mike Conley because I'm still mad that he bought so many PS5s and I still don't have one. So we're just going to move on to that topic. <laughs> you're still you're still searching for one. The kids are going crazy, uh, aren't they? It's unbelievable. Yeah, the kids are. I, even today, I was I was writing a story, and I actually I mentioned you know, I mentioned this to Austin off air. Uh, I actually caught up with. I know he's you know not a lot of local folks are happy to hear this name when it comes up, but Gordon Hayward and I talked the other day, and. Um, and was complaining to Gordon about how, you know, I spent part of my day tracking down PS5s, and, and it's this endless, ruthless cycle of clicking on the button when they tell you to click on the button and then being told yet again that, it, that it's sold out. But, yeah, still no dice. Well, let's ask you about Gordon Hayward there, Sam. Uh, now that he's in Charlotte, things appear to be going really well for him. Um, give us kind of your take on, on Gordon and, and what start he's off to with the Hornets. Yeah, he's you know, seems to be feeling good, uh, looking good. I have part of the incentive or kind of the motive, I guess, for trying to track him down was I just thought it was interesting that when he signed his deal in Charlotte, you know, the, the numbers come across the social media ticker and it's, you know, four years, $120 million. And the reaction, as you guys remember, was really strong. It's just most people saying, holy smokes, like why in the world is Charlotte giving him that much money? You know, all the injuries the last couple of years, the production was down. He's 30 now at this point. So that contract surprised a lot of people. And I, you know, I was kind of on record at the time saying I'm going to reserve judgment because I had talked to some of the teams that liked him and their sense was that, you know, these injuries, we get a little bit suckered sometimes into labeling guys as, you know, kind of broken or, or you know, injury prone when you got to look at the specifics around each of their injuries and ask yourself how much of it might be chronic and how much of it is just coincidental. And, you know, he had the awful leg injury, um, you know, but then he had a, an ankle and then, uh, and then a hand. But none of these things have any lasting impact on who he is as a player. And so far, so good. I mean, they're six and eight. They've, they've dropped some games that they, uh, I'm sure, would like to have back. But... He's putting up big numbers. I mean, he had a career-high 44, I think, against Cleveland early on. Um, he scored 25-plus six different times already this season. You know, so he, he went that direction not only, obviously, because of the money, but, but really it feels like he, he wanted an environment where he could, you know, try to push himself individually in, in much the same way he had during the Utah days uh, to, to kind of, you know, to lead a team and be the guy as opposed to, you know, being one of the guys like he was uh, for a lot of the time in Boston. So, Sam, the Jazz get the Pelicans tonight. We saw these two teams play the other night. And by the way, Jake, did uh, do the Pelicans just hang out here? Because yeah. they're trapped in their rooms, right? I mean, what do they do? That's Room that seems service, like I guess. Even, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> But what do you make of the Pelicans? Uh, five and eight so far. Zion put a big number on the Jazz the other night, but the rest of the team really struggled. The Jazz beat them by 16. It seemed like they were beating them by 30. But what what do you make of that team? Yeah, it's not a good look. I mean, that was a team that, you know, there, there was kind of playoff aspirations and Stan Van Gundy coming in there, you know, with the, you know that your coach is, is, you know, kind of battle-tested, not, not bringing anybody in who's, uh, kind of a mystery at all. And then Zion going to the next level, Brandon Ingram going to the next level, um, you know, Lonzo Ball, all those guys. So it's not a good start. And, you know, they're 
executive, Dave Griffin, you know, previously with Cleveland and Phoenix before that. I mean, Griff is a, a pretty aggressive exec, and he's got a, a long-term plan here. I'm not saying he's going to overreact and do anything rash, but I'm sure he's disappointed because they, uh, you know, they're trying to get this thing going in the right direction. Now, we all know that, you know, they've just got this incredible amount of, of draft picks and assets. You know, them in Oklahoma City, you know, the, the running joke is they got, you know, almost everything in the league. But, you know, they, they were built to win games right now, and it's just not happening. We saw the Nuggets the other night, uh, Sam, and I, I'm really surprised how much they miss uh, Plumlee, Jeremy Grant, and Torrey Craig. I mean, Jeremy Grant's a he's a great player and he's killing it in in Detroit. But did we uh, did we kind of underestimate those losses when we were evaluating off seasons? Because it it seems like that Nuggets team isn't quite where they were. Yeah, the Grant one in particular. Um, yeah, I just think we forget that couple of years back when the Nuggets started winning games at a higher clip and then, you know, we would ask ourselves, like, are they for real? That the evolution of the defense was was kind of a long time coming and they eventually got it there. But that was the thing. You know, they were an offensive heavy team that didn't defend and then they did kind of form an identity on that end and Grant had a lot to do with it. I just that blow, I mean Plumley fine, you know, um, Torrey Craig, you know, good perimeter defender. But the Grant one is, to me, the biggest one. And, you know, it's just it's not really anybody's fault. Um, it's just a human part of of the business, meaning that Jeremy really caught them off guard during free agency when they offered him the same money that Detroit offered, and they just didn't anticipate, you know, where his head was at and where his head was at and, and we, we've had a really good uh, – we have a really good story on our site about this from our Christmas beat writer, James Edwards, is that he had been very interested in betting on himself. And more specifically, and this is a guy who was pretty vocal during the bubble experience on the social justice front, and, and obviously a young black man who, you know, would be asked about a game, you know, but then would want to talk about Breonna Taylor first. So that's kind of where his heart was at, right? Well – he, you know, like he told our writer, he decided that he wanted to go work for one of the few organizations that had a black executive running the front office and Troy Weaver and a black uh, coach and um, Glenn Casey. And that's something that just is a personal decision. And, you know, at the time, the Nuggets were pretty caught off guard by that. Just basketball-wise, they didn't see it coming. They thought Jeremy was, you know, part of the deal. And then as long as they were willing to pay him, what you know? What he might be able to get elsewhere that they'd be able to hold on to him. And to his credit, I know Detroit hasn't won a ton of games, but I mean, he got out there and shown that you know that he had a reason to feel that way. And the Nuggets miss him. And you know, I think they'll get there and they're going to win a lot of games. But it just really cuts into that question of like, you know, are they going to be a conference finals team that's pushing the Lakers and the Clippers and teams like that? And right now, it looks like that's probably a stretch. Sam, on Saturday night, the Jazz get the Warriors. A uh, few people know more about that team than you have over the past decade or so. Uh, what uh, What's going on with that team? And do you think that they are are getting, with Steph going, are they becoming more and more dangerous? Uh, a little bit, yeah. They, You know, you, you really see, you know, the uh, not to overplay this card, but, like, you see the, the value of culture and, you know, just you hear – coaches and executives talk about 
winning mentalities and winning environments. And it's like, man, it's, it's kind of something to see that pay off in the way that it has there because basketball-wise, they have a lot of a lot of young guys who have no clue how to win, but they still have Steph and they still have Draymond and they still have Steve Kerr and that staff um, and, you know, management. And next thing you know, um, James Wiseman's got Draymond in his ear every night, and, you know, and, and he's kind of had a roller coaster rookie season so far, but you see the potential getting pulled out of Wiseman. You see Kelly Oubre, you know, coming around after he, I think he was, you know, one of 40 from three-point range early on. Uh, he just kept defending, kept playing aggressively, and, and now he's had some nice games. You know, Andrew Wiggins, who we all know what his story has been, you know, playing some really good ball on both ends of the floor. So they uh, they look okay. I mean, that Spurs win was a good one. Um, beating the Lakers the other night, they, they sneak up on you because offensively, and this is what happened in the Lakers game, is, you know, you just let them get hot and then you go cold and, depending on the timing of the game, it could be lights out. That's kind of what happened against the Lakers. But they've got a good thing going. I mean, they look like a team that, uh, like we kind of thought going into the year, you know, could push for a playoff spot, but we'll see. Any update on Clay Thompson's rehab? Not for me, no. I mean, he. I know he attended, uh, you know, a game recently for the first time. And, um, you know, but no, I mean, it's, it sure is kind of surreal for me just to think about how long it's been since we saw that guy on a basketball floor. Uh, you know, obviously I covered those finals against Toronto, and it was just like this kind of apex of his career individually. He was playing the best ball of his life, and just you could argue was the MVP of that team during that time. And you know, that just that seems like a very long time ago. But uh, hopefully, you know, he's on track to. to I mean, I think it was. Not necessarily the start of next season, but maybe somewhat through next season. But, you know, looking forward to Clay being back eventually. Sam, our conversations with you are always a highlight of the week. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Thank you, Sam. That's our friend Sam Amick, who joins us uh, every week, your daily assist. Uh, Sam's great. And and that uh, yeah. that piece he did on the Rockets is really, really good. It's up at uh, theathletic.com, and uh, look forward to reading about his conversation with Gordon Hayward uh, as well. Most everything he does is just top drawer. Uh, but I'm sure hoping he can find that uh, PlayStation that he's looking for. It seems like it's become quite the ordeal. Still, apparently. What is it? It's it's called a PS5? Is that what it is? <laughs> I think that's what the kids are calling it these days. All right, stay tuned. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.